Let's turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. I've titled the message this morning, How Not to Live the Christian Life. And sometimes when you look at how not to do something, it actually helps you figure out how to do it a little bit better. And if you've ever wondered why, as a believer, you struggle with sin, or maybe even more specifically, why do you struggle with the same sin over and over and over again? Why do I keep doing this? I promised the Lord I would never do this again. Lord, I promised this time. I've broken my promise 500 times in the past, but this time, Lord, I mean it. And then you get a week down the road. Maybe some of you get lucky enough to get two weeks down the road and you fall again. Same exact sin. And you wonder what is going on. Well, This morning, we're going to look at a step-by-step explanation for why that's the case. And for those of you that are athletes, uh, you know that if you ever had a film session, you learn a lot in film. You learn a lot in film session. You know, your coach can say, man, when you're hitting that ball, your arm is way down here. It should be up here. And you're like, you're like, nah, man, I think I'm way up here hitting the ball until you see film session. You're like, oh my gosh, I never knew my arm was down here. And I know I look like Tyrannosaurus Rex, you know, trying to, (laughs) trying to play, right? Until you see it in film session. This is going to be film session for us this morning. In fact, the passage is going to describe the downward spiral of sin. I remember the most favorite part of my bathtub experience as a young boy was what? Watching the water go down the drain. There's something cool about the little tornado that funneled down the drain. You hear me? I mean, that's, I mean, I don't think I'm the only one, but this is not a good downward spiral. This is not something you want to keep your eyes on because it's a downward spiral of sin. We're going to see how, in fact, it's going to give us really the technical breakdown. How does does sin happen from start to finish? You know, it's like if you you go out on the road this afternoon and and God forbid this happens to anybody, but if you were to go out on the road on I-85, you're driving up to Atlanta, no traffic. We We already know it's a faulty story right there, fictitious, right? But no traffic, you're going 80 miles an hour and your tire blows out, right? We could see the tire blow out, but do we understand what steps we took to get to the tire blowout? Do we understand what happened? That's what the passage is gonna explain to us this morning. We all know when we blow out a tire via sin. We, we see that, we feel it, we understand it. We, but, but what happened leading up to that? That's what we're gonna see this morning. And you know, it ties back into the previous passage and really the entire chapter in general. And that's why verse 17 starts with a therefore. And we always say this when we're studying the Bible, what's the therefore, therefore, and, and it's a great tie-in. But look at verse 17. It says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And so when we see this therefore, you know, we come out of this section where, where God has gifted and placed each believer in the body to, to be equipped by gifted men to function in the role that he's designed for them to fulfill, not only for their own individual success, but for the success of the whole. We're coming out of that section, and now Paul is going to exhort the believers regarding how they should walk. How should this play out? How should this look? In fact, if you want to even talk about where the therefore goes back to, go all the way back to verse one. I think it's picking up this concept of walking worthy. 
Because now what we're gonna find in this passage is, is the emphasis on walking. Remember we said once we flip the page into chapter four, we, we kind of summarize chapter one through three with the word sit. Now as we get into chapter four, it's, it's walk. And we're gonna see that this is kind of driven through this section. In fact, in this specific passage, Paul says and testifies. Notice that's what it says in verse 17. I say and I testify. What is he saying and testifying? Well, we're going to see his messages in verse 17 through 19, how not to walk, verses 20 through 24, how to walk. And then we're going to see this word walk just driven through the context. Before we go on in detail here, jump down to verse five or chapter 5, verse 1. Notice he says, um, I'm sorry, 5-2. Five, five, he wants us to walk in love. Jump down to 5.8. He wants us to walk as children of the light. And then jump down to 5.15. See that you walk circumspectly. And so he's got all these qualifiers on how this walk should look. But before we get to all that, he's going to tell us how not to walk. He's going to start the instruction by telling us how it should not look. And it's just like any great teacher, he takes what a, a known quantity and he builds from what we know right? You don't show up to algebra one class and learn calculus the first day. You don't even probably learn algebra one the first day, right? Because what are they going back to? They're going to pre-algebra. They're saying, well, you, you know this, and I know you've slept a couple times over the summer, students, but you kind of know this, you remember this, and now that we reminded you of this, now let's build on what you know. That's what Paul's going to do when he talks about how not to walk. And one of the things he's going to tell them is to leave your past in the past. And the way he says it is this. He uses this phrase, no longer, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles work. Now, this word walk is the Greek word peripateo. And I only bring that up to say that everywhere you see it in this passage, this is the word used. Okay, so it's a, it would stand out. If we were highlighting this word, repeated words, this word would stand out to us in terms of driving through the passage. So it's very good. We get a good definition of what this word means. It means to tread or walk about. It means to live or behave in a customary manner with possible focus on continuity of action. In fact, that, that preposition there, peri, means it's kind of got this idea of a circle, okay? So it's not like you're walking in a circle necessarily, but the idea is that you're walking about. This is how you live. This is your customary conduct. This is how you conduct your life is maybe a way that we can see it. And, you know, the fact that Paul uses the phrase no longer, before we kind of get into more details, it actually implies two things. Let's talk about what it implies. First, it implies that Paul's readers did at one time walk as other Gentiles walk. It, it, the use of the phrase no longer indicates no more, no further, or no longer. And so in the past, they did live exactly the way Gentiles lived. And that, that's really a synonym here when he says that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. He's talking about the unsaved world. That's a, a synonym for that. So the implication is if they're to no longer do that, what does it imply? That they at one time did do that. That's how they live and this is how they function. Again, he's building from something they know to something that they need to know or that they should know. Now, the second thing that we see implied is this. If believers are no longer to walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, guess what that tells us? Believers can and still do walk as unsaved people. It's not desired. It's not encouraged in the scriptures. But here's the point. It is a possibility. 
That's what we need to understand going into this passage. Because many people, many Bible teachers would even come to this passage and say, this is Paul describing an unbeliever. And if you don't live right and don't fly straight, then you're not really saved. You never were saved. You never had salvation. That's not what this passage is teaching at all. It's teaching that believers have the possibility, the capability of living just like an unsaved person. Otherwise, if they didn't have the possibility, why is Paul even wasting his time talking about it? And I've used a really crude example in the past, but let me use it again. I would tell everybody in this room, please don't stand up while I'm preaching. It's very distracting. And the reason I can tell you that is because you all have legs that will allow you to stand up. Now, if I was speaking at the, the National Quadri, Quadriplegic Convention and I made that comment, it would actually be very rude and obnoxious for me to say, don't stand up while I'm speaking. Why? It's not even a possibility. They don't have the function to stand up. So I would never say that in that room. Does that make sense? And so Paul is saying here, don't walk like the Gentiles walk because it's a possibility that you will. And this is what he's going to go on to describe for us. And before we do, this is uh, in contrast. What we're about to see, walking as the Gentiles walk is in contrast to walking worthy. It's, those are the two things, big picture contrast that he's setting up. We're to walk worthy of our calling. Remember, that's in balance with what resources we have in Jesus Christ versus walking like an unsaved person who has no resources in Christ. That's the contrast that he's setting up. And by the way, before we get uh, even further, notice where the walk starts. See that first phrase in verse 17? It says, where does the walk start? In the futility of their mind. And so I want you to notice, before we go on in this section, I want you to notice all the mental words that are used here. 417, futility of their mind. 418, understanding darkened. 418, ignorance that is in them. 420, learned Christ. 421, heard him. And not just hearing it, hitting your eardrum, but hearing it and processing and thinking through the information. 421, taught by him. 423, spirit of the mind. You see where the walk starts? And this is the problem using the tire illustration. See, we think the problem was when the tire blew out. No, 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 no. The problem was miles back, maybe even months back, maybe even years back. There was something that led it. We just became aware of the problem when the tire blew out. And see, for many believers, uh, and we'll get into this further, they only know that they've sinned when the tire blows out. They, they don't realize the carnality that led up to the explosion, the implosion, whatever it is, whatever the case may be. And so this is why he's going to be very intense on how we think, because that's where sin starts. That's where carnality starts. And you know what? It starts in a very subtle way. And that's what we're going to see in verse 17. Let's read it again, because we've, we've kind of danced around and done some big picture stuff. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Futility of their mind. Again, notice where the walk starts. It starts in the mind. And, and your behavior, my behavior, is always a result of the way you think. There's a, if there's a, a, a breakdown in your behavior, it merely exposes a breakdown in your thinking. We've got to start thinking that way. Because oftentimes, and this is why legalism is so appealing, 
But it's also why legalism doesn't work. (laughs) It's also why religious do-gooding doesn't work because religious do-gooding and legalism only focuses on the blowout. It doesn't focus on what leads to the blowout. You see, and this is, this is going to give us a source, a technical understanding of why just changing your behavior misses the mark in the Christian life. We are not designed just to be behavior conformist. Have any of you raised kids? Man, seriously, we, we understand this, right? I'm not about their behavior. I mean, in some instances I am. I'm in a restaurant, they're screaming bloody murder. I, I kind of want the behavior to stop. I get it. But ultimately, what am I trying to get at with my children? You don't need to scream like an idiot, a, a banshee or whatever. I mean, you don't, there's no need to respond that way. What's going on under the surface? What's going on behind the scenes? Why is this behavior manifesting itself? What are we doing? What can we do to change that? It, we're always going back to the source. We always want to go back to the source. And the same is true in our Christian life. And legalism is nothing more than putting lipstick on the pig and then trying to convince you that the pig is beautiful. That's legalism for you. That, that, that a lipstick on a pig is a beautiful pig. And in fact, you could enter that, that pig in a beauty contest, like a human beauty contest, and she, and she would win, right? It's ridiculous. But that's what legalism does. And so we want to get to the root of what's going on here. Futility, very helpful to understand because it means vanity. It means worthlessness. It means emptiness. This word describes something as useless because of being futile or lacking in substantial content. By the way, notice that this definition, nothing in this definition is inherently sinful. You see that? We're not talking about futility. Your mind means that you're just a sinful, you got all these sinful thoughts playing around in your head. Oh, you little sinful, you know, thinker. That's not what we're talking about at all. It's futile thinking. It's worthless thinking. It's mindless thinking. It is, it is the proverbial, hey, I've had a busy day at work. I just want to veg out for a while and not think about anything. And what does that typically mean? That means I'm going to fill my mind with the TV. I'm going to fill my mind with videos. I'm going to fill my mind with social media. I'm going to fill my mind with stuff that I can just turn my mind off. And what Paul's going to say, not that he had social media in mind here, but what he's going to say is the second you check out mentally, you've lost the battle. That's what he's going to say. And you say, wow, John, that sounds pretty intense. Yeah, it kind of is because you've got an enemy that's relentless that doesn't sleep, that's coming after you at every moment of every day and wants to distract you from your purpose in Jesus Christ, he will not stop. He will not sleep. He's coming after you. You've got an indwelling sin that does the same thing that's after you. And so, yeah, it is intense. It's about as intense as when we get to chapter six and he says, put on the armor of God. And if you understand that the moment you step outside, you've got snipers, spiritual snipers of the enemy looking to take you down at every moment of every day, I think you'd wear the bulletproof vest when you went outside. I think you'd be convinced that you needed to be protected. And see, we check out mentally so many times. In fact, what does futility look like in the lives of unbelievers, right? He's he's using that as an example of the way unbelievers walk. How do believers do the same thing? Well, unbelievers wander. They meander aimlessly through their thought life. They often advertising, news media, social media, friends, family, all these cultural influences, they all dictate and influence what they think about. 
They tell them what's important. They convince them of what they need to be occupied with. Has that happened with our news media in the last two years? A news media that is trying to tell you what you should be occupied with? Anyone ever watched the news? I mean, seriously, that's exactly what's going on. They want you more occupied with the cultural issues of the day than Jesus Christ. And that's when the alarm bell should go off and say, nah, 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 this ain't right. This ain't good. This is, this is futile. And you know, unsaved people, when you look at them, they think and believe in all sorts of theories, crazy theories, they, scholastic ideas, conspiracy theories. By the way, isn't this the whole goal of advertising? To convince you that you desperately need something that five minutes ago you didn't even know existed. Come on. I mean, that's, that's advertising to the core. Wow, I never knew, knew I needed a back of my hamstring, hamstring scratcher. Now I can buy one and get one free. What a deal. It's like, man, I just lost $19.99 that I had in my pocket five minutes ago that I didn't even know I needed this thing. And this is futile. This is worth, not that hamstring, hamstring scratchers are bad. It's just that it's futile. It's worthless. It's, it's taking brain power away from where it could be occupied with the Lord. By the way, let me show you why this is so important. Hold your finger there and go with me to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 22. It says this, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But notice this, I see another law in my members, that means in my body, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Do we understand that indwelling sin, the sin nature is waging war against your mind constantly? And, and again, like any deceitful thing or person, the, the sin nature is diabolical. It's not going to come out and say and give you thoughts like, hey, let's go worship Satan, right? It's not going to just blow the doors off and trick you. What's it going to do? It's going to get you futilely thinking. It's going to get you thinking about worthless things. It's going to get you to check out mentally because once the sin nature can convince you to do that, we're going to see it is like a snowball has been built and he starts to roll it downhill. And what happens when you, I mean, I'm asking a bunch of Georgians, but we have some Northerners in here. What happens when you build a snowball and roll it downhill? It gets bigger and it gets faster. It picks up speed and it gets bigger. And that's exactly what we're going to see in this passage. So this can be true of believers, as we said. If they are not mentally engaged in their day-to-day lives, this is where carnality starts for the believer. We see the blowout tire. We don't realize carnality started way back down the road. This is what we need to be convinced of, that it's important as to what we think about. The sin nature, again, tries to distract the believer with anything besides Jesus Christ. This is why they're neutral things, some of them. They're not sinful, some of them. It's just, let me take some of your brain capacity and put it on this and this and this, and then you have less brain capacity to focus on Jesus Christ. And you know what the sin nature says? Win. I'll take that every day. Because I know that if I can get them thinking about worthless things that don't matter, I can just start this snowball downhill. I can just begin to completely overtake every aspect of their life. That's what we're going to see in the passage. 
In fact, verses 18 and 19 are going to bear that out. Do you, do you see this example anywhere else in Scripture? I think one of the clearest examples in Scripture is actually Adam and Eve. That's a, that's a great example of what we're seeing with the futility of their mind. Because God was clear to Adam. Uh, we don't know if Adam was necessarily as clear to Eve. We'll give her the benefit of the doubt, maybe. <laughs> I, I actually, sometimes I wonder, you know, if Adam just told Eve, like, hey, see that tree over there? Don't, don't eat of it. And she said, well, which, which tree? And he's like, well, that one right over there. He said, you know what, Eve, just don't even touch the thing, you know, and it's because <laughs> we do that a lot. I don't know if Adam did that, but sometimes you do that with your kids. You're like, okay, see that, that red folder on that bookshelf? You can touch everything. Just don't touch that red book folder. And your kids are like, which, which one? And never mind, just don't touch the bookshelf, right? You just like, you back off, just don't touch it. So I don't know if that's what happened, but obviously there was some confusion there. But you know, as the, as the serpent brought forward this temptation, what did he begin to, to do with Eve? He began to, to plant futile thinking in her mind. Did God really say that? Oh, surely you don't think he meant that you die. I mean, come on. And he began to swirl worthless thoughts into her mind. And she took hold of those and began to evaluate those on her own. And then what does she end up doing? Well, she ends up acting on the way she thought. And so we see this illustration all throughout Scripture. And, and that's what's so important to see about Scripture. God wants to capture our minds. He wants to enrapture you with Jesus Christ. He wants you thinking about his plan, his will, his desires for your life constantly, not just checking out from, for large periods of time or for periods of time in any day. In fact, carnal believers are those who do not actively think through their day-to-day lives. And, and you know, it, it's so interesting because the scriptures are clear. In fact, let's just, let's just race through a couple of these. You can jot them down. We're not going to read them, but we, we see from Philippians 4.8, believers are to actively think on good in godly things. You know that verse that we, we crochet? Some of us, if, if we don't like to crochet, we don't crochet that verse because it is pretty long, right? It takes a while. But those are the verses we put up. These are good things, godly things that we are designed to actively think about. Believers are to actively count upon or reckon or consider our co-crucifixion and co-resurrection with Christ. That's Romans 6.11. Again, the first command in the book of Romans right there. And, and why is that so significant? Why should that be part of our daily thinking? Because that's the key to being delivered from sin's power in a very practical way in the Christian life. That's what Romans 6.6 6 says, is that God might deliver us or to put out of business the body of sin. How does that happen? As we, by faith, count on his work to do it. So that needs to be part of our daily thinking. If it's not, we see that believers serve the law of God with their mind, Romans 7, 25. We see that the believers have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2, 16. What do you mean you have the mind of Christ? That means that the life of Jesus Christ is indwelling you. You have access to his thinking. Wow, that ought to blow us away. I, I mean, how many times does that actually show up in our life consistently? And we want it though, don't we? I mean, don't we want to see things and evaluate things through the lens of Jesus Christ? Like we're wearing his goggles and we actually see everything the way he sees it and evaluate it and respond and think through situations based on his revealed word, the same way Jesus would think. I mean, that is, that is mind-blowing that we have access to the mind of Christ, but it's there. And then we see that believers are to allow the thinking and mindset of Jesus Christ to be actively influencing us at every moment of every day. And then we see in Colossians 3, 2, we are to set our mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Those are the worthless, futile, (laughs) empty things that we oftentimes set 
our mind on, and we're to set upon our, our mind on the things of the Spirit, Romans 8, 5. You, you see how the mental aspect of the Christian life is so uh, just emphasized by the Apostle Paul, because what he understands is that carnality starts in the futility of our minds, but then it, it advances. And, and you might say, well, it's not that ugly when it's in the futility of your minds. It's kind of neutral. It's not ugly. But here's the thing. It gets ugly real quick. It gets nasty and dirty and sick really quick. And that's what we're going to see here. We're going to see that the snowball grows. Look at verse 18. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. And again, notice where the walk continues. It starts in the futility of the mind. Where does it stay in this first description? In the mind. Now the understanding is darkened. We want to kind of look at that a little bit more. The understanding means to, to agitate in mind. It refers to one's intellectual faculty or intellect. I love that description, by the way, that, that root word description that, that when you understand something, it's because it, it's agitated your mind. Like you, it's like a washing machine, you know? It's like it's stirring, stirring it up, right? It's, you're, you're trying to, to, to set things in order by, by taking in ideas and putting them with other ideas. This is what understanding does. The problem is, it says that when this happens, when you walk in the futility of your mind, when you start there, your understanding is going to be deprived of light. It, it is going to become unable to perceive and thus unable to understand. And so it started with futile or worthless thinking, but that beginning has now impacted the whole process by which we take in and understand information. Feudal thinking literally throws a wrench in the gears of your mind so that you can't even process information or understand it in the way that we're designed to understand it. You see, it sets us off already into abject failure. It starts that process that needs to be stopped. And if it's, we don't even realize it until the blowout happens, you can see why this happens the moment we start thinking futilely and it begins to take over and dominate us. In fact, what's really fascinating about this is darkened is a perfect passive participle. Perfect is key to understanding this because it's a completed event with ongoing results. It's something that's happened that has ongoing results. And not only that, but it's passive. It's not something that the believer willingly does to themselves. It's not like the believer says, you know what? I'm gonna walk in the futility of mind and I'm gonna darken my understanding so I can watch, I can sit down and veg out. Believers don't think that. They just think, ah, just, it doesn't matter how I think. I can just kind of take the night off. But then what happens is their understanding is dark and it happens to them. That's what's reflected in the passive voice. And the crazy thing about it is when and, when and how does this happen? Well, it happens the moment they begin to walk in the futility of their mind. And then guess what? It continues to be true of them when they start down that path. That's what's so key to understand. And, th- and this is what's fascinating is, is the believer, um, it, you know, once the believer begins to walk in the futility of their mind, the result is that they stop thinking straight. And the crazy thing is, is the believer isn't even aware that they've lost the battle yet many times at this stage. They, they still think they're going okay with the Lord. They still think things are okay with the Lord. It, yeah, and it's like one guy told me, yeah, me and Jesus, we're good. You know, we're, you know, we're good. You know, we're tight. And this is how many believers think. And yet many believers are living from this 
uh, source of understanding. It's been darkened because they are futile in the way that they think. In fact, this is how many, as I mentioned, live the Christian life. And the result is, quite frankly, they can't think biblically. They can't make day-to-day decisions that lead to spiritual growth. Now, this is always easier to see in other people than ourselves. But just for a second, let's play that game. Have you ever seen a believer that just constantly, from your perspective, okay, you could be wrong. I mean, that is true. But from your perspective, constantly makes poor decisions regarding their Christian life. You ever met anybody like that? You ever seen anybody like that? I had a, a, a friend one time who told another friend of ours, he said, you know, here's what I would advise you to do because you make so many bad decisions regarding your family and your marriage. He goes, here's what I would advise you to do. Take, take your decision-making process, make your decision, and then do the opposite. He said, because you'll be right more times than you are now. And this is what he told him. And so we know people that do this, that they, they just can't seem to make right decisions. Every decision they make just seems to bury them further in consequences and in, in, in sin. But you know, many believers do the same thing. We don't progress spiritually, and it's because we're futile in our thinking. We're not active or intentional in the way we think. And as a result, our understanding is dark, and we may not even realize there's a wrench in our gears. We may not even realize that we're not evaluating things clearly. And this is why we need the word of God to correct and rebuke and challenge our thinking because we don't typically roll out of bed, bump out of bed thinking biblically. It just doesn't happen. It's gonna take some intentionality on our part to line our thinking up with what the word of God says and then just leaving it there. That's the point. The problem is, is when we start with futility in our thinking, this begins to act on us. The darkness begins to set in. And unfortunately, the snowball, even from here, just continues to grow. It just continues to grow and continues to gain steam. And now what we're going to see is that there's another result that happens to us. We're alienated from the life of God. You've got the life of Jesus Christ indwelling you, wanting to manifest itself in and through us. And because of the way that we think, we're, we're, we're severed from that fellowship. We're severed from that possibility. That's what the word estranged means. It means to alienate entirely, to be a stranger or a foreigner. And by the way, this is also a perfect passive participle. You see that futility at the moment that we begin to think with futile thoughts. This is enacted on us. It's a completed event with ongoing results. It's not something we do to ourselves. It's something that happens to us as a result of futile thinking. And so it starts to set in how important it is to be engaged in our mind, to be engaged in the Christian life and what we choose to think about and consider. In fact, it begins when we walk in the futility of our mind, and it continues to be true once we continue down that path. So once the believer begins to walk in the futility of their mind, they're no longer living from the right source in their Christian life. You know, the believer can live from one of two sources, right? The source of of God, the spirit of God, or the source of the sin nature. And at this point in the Christian life, because these things have been enacted upon them, they are no longer living from the right source. And you know, to put this in, uh, let me just read this. As a result, their practical connection to the sin nature as a believer has been reestablished as their source of living. And this is what I wanted to go to. Romans 6 terminology, I think is so helpful here. Go with me to Romans chapter 6 briefly. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Because when we walk in the futility of our mind, you know what in essence we've done? Now, we would never think this way because it doesn't come naturally to think this way, but the, the scriptures are clear that we have presented our mind to the sin nature. When we walk in the futility of our mind and think about worthless things, we have by faith presented our mind to the sin nature. Remember that word present in Romans 6 means what? To stand near, to make available. Think of a waiter or a waitress that's good at their job. What do they do? They stand near. They're available. Their hands are your hands. You need more Coke? They take their hands to bring more Coke. They're available. And that's the decision that we make when we're walking from the wrong source. Notice what Paul says in Romans 6, verse 13. Do not present your members, and that's body parts, your mind fits into that description, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And so when we present our mind to the sin nature, the sin nature then begins to dominate everything the believer thinks. And then it begins to dominate everything that believer feels. And then it begins to dominate everything that the believer does. And that's what we're going to see borne out in verse 19. That's the, the end game of this process of sin that starts in our mind, but it ends in our feet. That's what's so dangerous. It starts in our mind and it ends in our feet. And that's what we're going to see. And you know, there, when the believer gets to this point, it started so innocently, Right? Futile thoughts, worthless thoughts, ah, who cares? It's neutral, it's no big deal. It starts there, but because we've mentally checked out, the sin nature uses it as a foothold to shift and turn and pivot you a different direction that you and I never saw coming. You and I never saw coming, and we won't see it coming. But what we need to see coming is the value of being in fellowship with Jesus Christ every moment of every day, never saying, I'm gonna take a moment off from that. That's, that's what we need to be convinced of. And all of this can, can work itself out in a positive way, especially as we kind of get in on how to live the Christian life going forward. Now, some of the reasons that this happens, some of the reasons kind of explaining why this continues to happen is going to be given to us in the next couple of phrases. You'll see um, the, the phrase because used twice there in verse 18. And we want to kind of look at those. That, those word because is, by the way, are, are the Greek word dia. It means through. Okay, so by means of or, or something to that effect, it, it gives us, again, these reasons. And so the first reason is, is ignorance. Why does this continue to go on? Why do we even start embarking down this road of futile thinking? Well, it's because of the ignorance that's in us. And, and that's why Gentiles do it. That's why unsaved people do it. They don't know any better. But believers, when we start down this path, it's like we don't know any better and we should. This is why in verse 20, he's going to say, but you have not so learned Christ. (laughs) You know better than this, dear believer. You should know better, right? We should know better than this kind of approach to life. Ignorance just simply means lack of knowledge, simply not to know. You know, in our day, it kind of, you call someone ignorant, it's like you're calling them stupid, but it's not, they're not stupid. That's, that's not the, the word ignorant. It just means they don't know. And so believers oftentimes don't know. They're ignorant. And clearly one thing the believer is ignorant of, if we're being honest, is the process that's being described in these verses. We don't understand this process. We don't understand how serious it is to fix our mind on things above. We just think, ah, oh, that's no big deal. 
whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'll do that at church. I'll do that when I read my Bible. I'll do that on a Wednesday night. I'll do that when a crisis hits. I'll do that when I feel like praying. Yeah, but the rest of the time, that, that's my time. You know, that's, that's my time. This is, how we, this is how we think. Many believers are just ignorant of what happens to us, that something as simple as just turning our mind off and focusing on uh, entertaining things or worthless things or things that have no substance, how that has a way of acting upon us down the road, again, pivoting 90 degrees, 180 degrees, taking us a direction we never saw coming. We don't realize how important this is. You know, one of the things believers are ignorant of is the severity of walking even one moment in our Christian life from the source of sin. We just don't, we just, we're ignorant of the severity of that. We just, we just don't understand. We, we don't know. We, we haven't seen it. And, you know, this is one of the reasons I believe why both darkened and alienated are perfect tense participles because they describe an ongoing reality. And here's the sad thing for many believers because believers are ignorant of these things, they simply make no effort to adjust. They don't even know they need to adjust. They think they're doing well. And if you want a great picture of that, go to Revelation chapter three, the church, the letter to the church of Laodiceans. They're like, man, we're rich. We're doing this. We're doing all this great things for Jesus Christ. And then there's Jesus Christ knocking on the door, trying to get into the church. I mean, seriously, like the head of the church the one who should be making the decisions, setting the direction. He's on the outside while this church in Laodicea is doing church and not only doing church, but proud of the way they're doing church. And this is what's so fascinating is because oftentimes sin, because there's not an immediate consequence, we think we're getting away with it. We think there was no consequence. We think there's nothing wrong with walking in the futility of your mind. Well, nothing bad happened. I didn't get hit by lightning. I didn't get hit by a two by four. You know, my tire didn't blow out on 85, right? And we start looking at these, these big consequences and because they don't come all the time, we think, oh man, we're, we're doing really well. Me and Jesus, you know, we're, we're tight. And yet we're in this state right here, understanding darkened alienated from the life of God, all because we are not intense in terms of the way that we engage our thinking on a moment-by-moment basis. And by the way, this is why many believers don't grow spiritually, just don't grow. They repeat year one of their Christian life every year. It's, It's year one all over again. Year one, you've been saved 20 years, year one, 20 times. Been saved 30 years, year one, 30 times. Part of the reason for this is, is they're ignorant of what's going on and the undercurrent of how sin is accomplished, how carnality begins to overtake us in the Christian life. And so it's so very important. I know that I say that every week, but it is very important as we talk about this. You know, the second reason is that their heart has been blinded. Blindness means to harden or petrify, uh, to render insensitive. It uh, can reflect a stubborn unwillingness to learn. One translation said that their, their minds have grown as hard as stone. <laughs> you can't penetrate it with truth. You can't challenge it with truth. It's hard. Their mind is made up. And this is one of the reasons that believers go on living in carnality because, again, they don't see anything wrong with thinking futilely. They, don't think, they say, what's the big deal? What is this guy, what is this preacher talking about? I mean, give me a break. It's not a big deal. And someone might even be thinking that this morning. I don't know. 
but this is reflective of a hard heart. And it continues to go on because the believer's heart, which is really the center of their emotions and thinking, is desensitized to what is happening. They're also unwilling to recognize that it's a dangerous way to live. You do not want to live your Christian life from the source of sin. It's dangerous. Sin, sin is not a polite gentleman. He, he's not going to just say, oh, you just presented your mind. What about the other members? Can I try to influence those too? It's not how, he, it's not how it works. Once you present yourself to the sin, he wants to dominate you. Satan wants the sin nature to dominate you. Every aspect of your being, emotions, feelings, actions, thoughts, reactions, wants to dominate you. And so we've got to understand the seriousness of this. Either way, uh, for whatever reason, believers are ignorant or they've got a blindness of heart. Either way, this type of uh, person continues downhill with the snowball again, picking up steam. And this is where we're going to see in verse 19. They're not at all sensitive to the Lord. His word is leading. That is since that whole, that whole aspect of the Christian life has left the building a long time ago because now this snowball is going downhill. And what we're going to see in verse 19 is this. They're going to be, they're being past feeling. And we'll, we'll talk about what that, that means here in a second. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. And as I said before, what started in the mind, we are going to see now it ends up in the feet. It ends up in the hands. It ends up in the feet. It ends up in very practical actions. And you think, well, it wasn't that big a deal. It was just futile thinking. It, it wasn't that big a deal. I get it. It doesn't seem like a big deal. The point is this, that when your brain capacity is occupied with anything other than Jesus Christ, and I'm talking about occupied. I'm not saying you can't think about other things. I mean, clearly we live in a society where we have to make money. We've got to pay bills. We've got things that come up. We've got to think through. I'm not saying that, but there's a difference between thinking about things and occupying yourself with things. You know, there's a difference. There's a line that we cross where something becomes an occupation of our hearts and our minds. And this is what we're talking about in this sense. Being past feeling means to become or to grow insensible. It's actually a word that's uh, from which our English word analgesic is derived, meaning that which takes away pain. And so the idea is that someone is so desensitized that they are not even bothered by the implications of what they're doing. They become callous toward what is going on. They, they don't even have a capacity to feel shame or embarrassment. That's what the word means. And it says that when we start down the road of feudal thinking, we end up being in a point of past feeling. And I will just say this, that if you are here today and you have struggled with the same sin over and over and over again in your life, there are times, there are seasons, I know you may be in one of them right now, where you are not as concerned about it today that you were 20 years ago. And I know, I know people where, you know, as they've struggled with sin, every time they struggled with it for years, they cried, they broke down. They, they felt like they had let the Lord down. They, they were almost suicidal at some points because they were so upset with themselves and struggling. And yet 20 years down the road, callous, just, just totally callous toward it again. Eh, just who I am, just what I do. You know, and just become callous. And you, you see this, that prolonged carnality leads to this 
callousness. And this is what we're seeing here is this being desensitized. By the way, the being past feeling, also a perfect tense participle. But notice the change in voice. It's active now. Perfect, again, means it's a completed action with ongoing results. There's, there remains this callousness when we're carnal, when we're walking in the futility of our mind, but the active voice indicates that we've put ourselves there through our own choices. Maybe we've blown through correction. Maybe we haven't listened to the word of God. We've rejected what we're hearing. And so we just continue to be callous toward these things. It says that when you get to this point, there's a couple of things additionally that you do. It says that you have given, or it says that they have given themselves over to lewdness. To to give over means to deliver yourself over. It means to hand over the authority to somebody else. That's why I've got the white flag there. It's like you've, you've given yourself up to somebody else to run your life. And what are they giving themselves up to here? Lewdness. What does lewdness mean? Well, they're giving themselves over to the power of an outside source. And when, again, when did they make their decision to do that? The moment they presented their minds to futile thinking. They gave themselves over to sin. They presented themselves to sin. That's the moment it happened. And, and now we're going to see the, the manifestation of that is going to be lewdness. And this is what I kind of alluded to earlier. The sin nature never just takes one member. Not a, not a gentleman. Oh, you gave me your mind. What about this? No, it doesn't even ask wants to dominate you, wants full and complete domination of the believer as a vehicle for the manifestation of any sinful act. And if you think as a believer that when you walk according to the flesh that you're not capable of every sin under the category or catalog of sins, you are completely naive. You are completely naive to think that. Because the scripture says once sin gains control of you, it dominates you, you are capable of anything. That in and of itself should frighten us. That in and of itself should scare us. And it's not that God is trying to scare you. In fact, God wants to deliver you from that. He doesn't want us in bondage to sin. That's why he's provided a means where you don't have to be. This is why Paul is encouraging us. Don't even start in the futility of your mind. You understand that when you dip your toe in sin, there's an anaconda under the water looking to pull you under. That's what the whole Passage is basically teaching. And again, when we talk about lewdness here, it means licentiousness. It means debauchery. It's, it's got a sexual excess component to this. It's an absence of restraint. It's an insatiable desire for pleasure. It's a behavior that's abs- lacking any moral restraint. And you're saying a believer can behave that way? Yes, a believer can behave that way. It's not encouraged. Obviously, it's highly discouraged. But it's a capability if we walk according to the flesh. Then he goes on to say to work all uncleanness with greediness. And again, the reason given for them giving themselves over to lewdness is to accomplish something, is to actually work out something. Now, this is what's so crazy is that this is talking about how a believer can walk how a believer can conduct their life, that a believer who was at one time mindful of Jesus Christ and what Christ wanted to accomplish through their life can now be a tool of the enemy desiring to work out manifestations of the sin nature in and through their body. It's crazy. In fact, this word work means to work or labor accompanied with pain. It describes an active, intentional, laborious effort to do sinful activities. This means that many people like to blame their sin on other things. 
Well, I wouldn't struggle with this sin if it wasn't for the billboards. And I wouldn't struggle with this sin if it wasn't for my boss. And I wouldn't struggle with this sin if it wasn't for my wife or for my husband or for my kids or for whoever we like to blame. We, we oftentimes like to act like if there were no outside factors in the world, we'd be perfect, holy, innocent all the time. And this just blows that up because it says that there's a point in our carnality where we actively look and work to execute sinful activities. We actively look for it. We actively pursue it. We, we work at it with intentional, I love that word, laborious. <laughs> it means you're putting a lot of labor and effort into executing sinful activities. And that can happen as a believer is carnal. Uncleanness means filth or defilement. Any substance that is filthy or dirty, it's used of refuse in other places. We also find out that there's a motivator behind it. What is the motivation? Well, everything is done for their own personal benefit, perceived benefit. It could be, it could be pleasure. Maybe that's why we engage in certain sinful activities. It's for pleasure, personal pleasure. Maybe it's for personal power. Maybe it's financial gain. It could be a lot of things. Greediness is the underlying motive. In other words, I'm going to get what I'm going to get. I'm going to pursue headlong, and I'm going to get what I think I need. It's all about me. And so we've looked at how not to live the Christian life, and we can't emphasize enough how important it is to guard and to be intentional and active in what we think about. And we'll learn next week as the Ephesian believers do in verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. And we want to learn Christ starting next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And um, we just pray, Lord, that you would, you know, when we come to a scripture like this, Lord, we really, we really want to see how these things practically work out in our day-to-day life. We want to respond to your word. We want to grow spiritually. We want to hear what, what message you've got for us in this. And so, Uh, Lord, would you just uh, enlighten uh, the eyes of our understanding and just give us understanding uh, that we might know how not to live our Christian life so that we can begin to learn how to proactively live our Christian life, engaged with you, thinking about you and in fellowship with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.